I caused a lot of havoc in the streets and I ended up going to prison and prison saved my life. Cause see, I'm the guy that I couldn't run from my issue. Like I had to look at myself in that mirror, those blurry mirrors in the penitentiary. I had to look myself and I knew I earned my seat in the prison. Welcome to By Little. We're your hosts, Tamara and Courtney. We're on a mission to empower people like you, like us, to create a future where everyone can thrive. Before we hear from the change agents on today's episode, we want to thank you for your willingness to take action. Confronting the dark, heartbreaking sides of reality takes courage, and we want to celebrate that. The landscape of truth is rugged, but it's the only place we'll find better. I heard a lot of rappers say product of their environment, and that's basically my story. That is Philip Cooper, but you can call him Coop. The story of Coop's childhood reflects what you'd hear and see from most folks who grew up in poverty-stricken hoods across America. I grew up in a dysfunctional family. We ended up living in public housing where there was a significant amount of substance misuse in the household, as well as the street pharmaceuticals, the drug dealers, and lacking positive mentorship in crucial ages from elementary school to middle school. Those are some very important times for a young person to, to have some engagement with positive role models. During that time period, I identified the gangbangers and the drug dealers as my role models, and I got involved in that lifestyle. Substance misuse is a thing for me. Inherited, I would say, mental health challenges. Uh, my mom has, ang- well, God bless her soul, she's no longer with us, but she had anxiety, depression. My father also has mental health challenges from being in Vietnam and everything, and it got passed off to me. And I self-medicated, you feel me? A lot of trauma in my neighborhood. A lot of people, that's what they do, they self-medicate. So I went down that road doing the things that a gangster do, what the rappers rap about, you dig? It didn't work for me, though, and I had kids in high school and stuff like that. I caused a lot of havoc in the streets, and I ended up going to prison, and prison saved my life. It was good for me to be afflicted. When I went into prison, I took some classes and stuff like that, cognitive behavioral classes, like a new direction. Even while I was in prison, I worked as what they call a peer counselor. Because, see, I'm the guy that I couldn't run from my issue. Like, I had to look at myself in that mirror, those blurry mirrors in the penitentiary. I had to look myself, and I knew I earned my seat in the prison. I wasn't one that, like, wrongfully accused. Nah, I, I earned mine. You did. And so while I was in there, I, had, I made some changes. So many people have had similar experiences. One in three people in the United States have a record 70 to 100 million people. So truly everyone at least knows someone who's been impacted by the legal system. That's Dr. Laura Chavez. She has a PhD in sociology and spent almost a decade teaching criminology at the university level. She then spent years serving as the Chief of Research and Evaluation at the Alameda County Probation Department in San Francisco. And now she's the Director of Research and Data at the nonprofit organization Clean Slate Initiative. What's that? We'll get into that later. For now, let's just say that Laura knows her stuff. There's a lot of research and data around the types of records that people have, and most of them are for low-level, non-serious charges like drugs, and in a lot of cases, marijuana, which has since been legalized in most of the states. And to Coop's point, 
a lot of drug charges can stem from dealing with trauma and self-medicating and it's it's not the kind of very serious charges that people tend to think of when they hear record criminal record a lot of the charges that people have records for really stem from poverty and living in areas of concentrated disadvantage and that's exactly where Coop started his story, right? Living in concentrated areas of poverty and disadvantage. That's what it means to be the product of your environment. But something interesting happened when Coop entered prison. When I was in prison, there was some people who had done a significant amount of time who was like schooling me on how to do time. Because when I first got to prison inside, you know, there's trouble to get into on the yard. But when you go to segregation enough times, you start to think to yourself like, dang, look at my life. And when I got out, I kept that same energy, man. I became a certified peer support specialist. And peer mentorship is what had an impact on me. That's why I'm still a certified peer support specialist to this day. After Coop was released, he parlayed his experience inside into a career on the outside, eventually landing at a community college. I get a job with the community college, and it's like God was strategically putting Change Agent Cooper together the whole time, because all of this experience is just coming together, right? Working at the college, unintentionally making a name for myself for supporting people coming home from prison who were going back to school and going back to work. There was a Vera Institute of Justice initiative funded called uh, Vera Pathways and I was working at the college and I was connecting with these people who were getting out of prison who was wanting to change their life and they were serious and it was just like a community being built but there were gaps in services. I get so fed up with these gaps that I'm seeing that I eventually create a nonprofit to address this. Coop founded Operation Gateway, a 501c3 whose mission is decreasing recidivism. Real quick, sorry to interrupt, but what's recidivism? No, good question. Recidivism refers to a person's relapse into criminal behavior, often after that person receives sanctions or undergoes intervention, like going to prison for a previous crime. Oh, okay. So how does Operation Gateway help reduce that? By addressing the social determinants of health of returning citizens and those social determinants, social and structural determinants, if you want to keep it real, but the social determinants as follows, economic stability, not just getting them a job, but getting them a training. You did getting them a certification so they can be gainfully employed, access to education and training, access to health care. And that does include mental health, social and community context, helping them build community so that they don't feel like they got to do life by themselves and neighborhood and build an environment because some people have to be removed from where they come from if they are to change. Because like I say, when I started this out, I said that I was a product of my environment. And so for a lot of people, when they come home for the penitentiary, they have to be in a different environment in order for them to have sustainable success. So there's this narrative in the U.S. that our successes or our failures or our mistakes are 100% a result of our characters. But this couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, who we are plays a big role in the course of our lives, but so does our environments. The opportunities that are presented to us, the people that surround us, and the challenges that we face. And so to ignore those external factors that play a role in whether or not we're able to take the career paths that we want or find the housing opportunities that we want, etc. 
is really to ignore kind of the realities of what it means to be a human. So what we want to do, what Laura and Coop want to do is open everybody's eyes to the fact that we all need help in order to get to where we want to go. And we all can be that help for others. It's well established that people who have a record experience all kinds of undue hardships. They're locked out of a lot of institutions that would help facilitate reintegration. 94% of employers use background checks in hiring. And so people who have a record, even if it's just an arrest record and they've never been convicted of a crime in a court of law, they'll be locked out of a lot of employment opportunities for that reason alone. People are excluded from housing. 90% of landlords use background checks. And a recent study published in Criminology, it's a top journal in the field, found that many housing providers disqualify people with records from renting without any regard to the severity or timing of the offense. Just see that someone has a record and they're locked out of renting. And then 72% of colleges and universities use background checks. So it's like at every turn, people with records are locked out of all the institutions that would reintegrate them back into society and help them get a leg up and be successful and make a better life for themselves and their families. But organizations like the one that Coop created and the one that Laura works at are aimed at stopping these trends in their tracks. The Clean Slate Initiative is a bipartisan nonprofit working to expand and automate the sealing of arrest and conviction records after people have completed their sentence, paid their debt to society and remain crime free for a period of time. Our mission is completely centered around what we can do to shift the burden of clearing those records from the individuals who are locked in this perpetual punishment to the state that's trying to lock them there and have them automate clearing the records. Pretty much every state has already a way for people to clear their records by petitioning. It's often really costly. It's full of red tape. It's confusing. You have to fill out 50 different forms or go to court or take off work to deal with this petition process. And it's a real burden to people. So we're really trying to shift that to the state. One thing that people might have hesitations about when it comes to automatic record clearing is the fear that it would actually encourage more crime. But as Laura shared with us, that's not the case. We know that providing second chances by automated record clearing is going to enhance public safety. Research consistently demonstrates that access to employment is a key factor for reducing recidivism. And the necessary first step to accessing employment is clearing records so people can get their foot in the door. Especially when we're talking about people who have paid their debt to society. It's, it shouldn't be the case that you have to pay that debt for the rest of your life and that you're never able to access anything that's going to improve your lot and your family. If the Clean Slate Initiative successfully got states to automate expunging records once time has been served, how would this change the lived experience of the folks that you are working with every single day, Coop? Man, it was straight <laughs> 
change the world, blow their minds. It, we would fill a lot of these these jobs. I mean, even I've heard, you know, some of these these uh, economists that are experts with the data and everything like shout out to Dr. Laura Ulrich with the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond. Like we've co-presented at events and and you hear these folks talking about the the, the job openings and, and the the occupational licensings that that are needed, and so there are some occupational licensing that that people can't even get because they background. And and even look at healthcare. Look at the amount of nurses that are needed right now. And and if if you think about it, does it mean you can't be a nurse because you sold drugs? Does that mean that you don't know how to be a nurse? And and so these and, and there's tons of nursing jobs, and they get paid bank. You know what I'm saying? That's a legit career with upward mobility, uh, and, and there are tons. Of openings right now, looking at how many teachers, stuff like that, like it, it's crazy the impact that could happen if it was automatic. In state after state where legislatures have talked about clean slate legislation, one of the top issues that they talk about is the benefit for workforce development and making sure there are workers to fill jobs. Not only that, but there's an estimated loss in gross domestic product every year from resulting from shutting people with records out of the workforce, 78 to 87 billion dollars. And yeah, so for Clean Slate, several businesses are really supportive of what we're doing, including J.P. Morgan Chase, LinkedIn, Wells Fargo. Um, oftentimes, Chambers of Commerce are, are our allies in lobbying for automated record clearance because of the positive impacts in terms of workforce development. And to Coop's point, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce right now reports that there are only 75 workers for every 100 jobs that are open. So opening up the talent pool to include people with records who have paid their debt to society, it's only gonna be a benefit because people with records are people and they possess valuable skills and knowledge and experience that can really benefit the workforce and our economy overall. And one thing oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't share, I like to talk a lot about mental health in this season because I've learned on the ground about vocational rehabilitation. WIOA, I don't know if you all have heard of these resources that come. WIOA is one that comes from the American Job Centers. WIOA stands for the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act. According to the Department of Labor website, it was signed into law in 2014, and it's designed to help job seekers access employment, education, training, and support services so they can succeed in the labor market and to match employers with the skilled workers they need so they can compete in the global economy. So this is like a plethora of resources, including financial support that are available for people and people coming out of prison qualify. But if you don't have people in positions as gatekeepers, then you don't have people who can educate community about who qualifies. And if community don't know that they qualify, they won't get the resource. You see what I'm saying? And so these gatekeeper jobs, a lot of times have minimum education requirements to get those jobs. And so if you can't get those jobs, then we keep doing what we always done. And if we keep doing what we always done, we keep getting what we always got. So this expungement piece, I think, would be very helpful on the economic side, especially. And poverty is what precedes a lot of the criminogenic activities, you dig? So we got to address that. We have to address that. And a way that we can address poverty is by way of these expunctions, which opens up the door for more careers with, with upward mobility. We'll be right back. If you're ready to learn how you can help smooth reentry for the formerly incarcerated, 
head over to bylittle.substack.com. When you support us by becoming a paid subscriber, you get access to all our essays. The next one will be about exactly that. So right before the break, Coop was talking about occupational licensing, which is a huge issue when it comes to folks with records, because a lot of those jobs are the clearest direct line to attainable employment. Didn't you have a similar story in next week's essay? Yes. The person who shared his story for the essay that we're publishing next week was stopped in his tracks by an occupational licensing requirement after two years of pursuing education. Getting that license would have meant him having to move thousands of miles from his home to live in the one state out of 50 that would let him obtain a license with a record. That's ridiculous. And it goes to show how cyclical and repetitive all of this stuff is. Barriers to reentry are massive problems, so massive that people like Laura and Coop dedicate their whole careers to the fight. How does someone who doesn't work in the reentry space even matter at all in helping people reintegrate into society? Reentry starts before a person gets out. So we have to continue to amplify that message in itself that you don't wait till a person is getting out to serve them. You have to connect and do that prison in reach and assess their needs. But you don't just do in reach. Culturally sensitive services are important and culturally linguistic services are important because like you can some people like that when you go to college, if you, if you don't know people and deal with people on, you know, certain types of people on the regular, you might use your vocabulary and it go right over their head. It can intimidate them. You, you dig what I'm saying? Even with that prison in reach, you want to make sure it's done. You want to make sure it's trauma informed. You want to make sure people are properly trained so they don't do harm trying to help. Because that's one thing I've seen, too, because a lot of people have reason to not trust this system. You dig? It was created to oppress black people. And so when I look at what's needed uh, uh, right now, we need it to be culturally sensitive, culturally responsive. We have to make sure we go and create programs, community based organizations. Anybody that's talking about prison reentry, they need to continue to amplify the voices of people with lived experience and let lived experience people lead. They need to be in decision-making positions. You dig what I'm saying? We want to have the, the pre-release engagement. We want to have honoring the credentials. There are some evidence-based credentials. Looking at like peer support specialists, community health worker is the one that I really stand in solidarity with the most because it's the one of the deliverables is health equity. It's, what, it's a value. Health equity is a value. And holding the system accountable, man. One of the things I see on the regular is a lack of knowledge about resources. And certified community health workers address access to those resources, whether it's economic resources like with WIOA or vocational rehabilitation, whether it's mental health resources so that a person can be stable once they get out, whether it's driver's license restoration, trying to get those DAs to, to put on expansion clinics and debt relief. Because some people, they owe these fines for years and years. Let that go, boo-boo. Let that go. It's been three, four years for that seatbelt ticket. That driver's like, why license revoke? Drop that. You know what I'm saying? So like we, we as long as we speak in the same language, community speaking the same language, service providers speaking the same language and, and us like being in solidarity about supporting the person and seeing the person, person first, not inmate, not offender. It's Philip. It's not 0765193. No, it's Philip. You call me Coop. I love to go by Coop. I'm proud of telling people my last name now. I don't live my old life. I ain't want you to know my full name. You know how we used to live. You know what I'm saying? Seeing the person first 
You dig? That's what I want community to know that they can be a part of. And if you're in a position of gatekeeping, educate yourself, homie. Watch 13th. Watch the movie 13th. Watch it. You ever heard of Brian Stevenson? Get familiarize yourself with Brian Stevenson. Do your due diligence of being educated if you're providing services for justice-involved people or formerly incarcerated people. You dig? Educate yourself because what an employer might require on the job description might not really prepare you for really properly and appropriately serving the individual. Laura had some advice for people who may not currently work in gatekeeping or service-based positions, but want to help too. The Clean Slate Initiative, we're very intentional about how we do our work, and we feel really strongly that people directly impacted by the legal system need to be at the center of what we're doing. So we work with groups that are led by and directly involve impacted people and people of color. And so community members can absolutely find ways to support these groups by actively participating or donating, and that's gonna help advance our cause. There are some incredible national organizations that are led by and work with people who are directly impacted. All of us are none. The formerly incarcerated convicted people and families movement, the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls, but there are also countless local organizations that center the lives of impacted people, people impacted by the legal system that people can get involved with to advocate for Clean Slate in their state. And even in states that have already passed Clean Slate legislation, our coalition members and these organizations working with impacted people are still working to implement the laws so people can get involved with that as well. And getting involved and advocating for these laws is so important because the work Clean Slate is doing is working. Just between 2018 and 2022, 10 states passed clean slate legislation just in four years. So we estimate that in those 10 states alone, nearly 12 million people became eligible for full or partial record clearance and over 10 million people became eligible to have their entire record cleared by automated process that again shifts the burden from the individual to the state. And that's not counting Minnesota, which passed clean slate this year, making it the 11th clean slate state. And the New York legislature just passed clean slate and we're hoping that the governor is gonna sign that into law, making New York number 12. In terms of who's had their records cleared so far, Pennsylvania, Utah, and Michigan have started automated record clearing. Pennsylvania was the first state to pass Clean Slate, and we know that 40 million cases have been sealed that benefit 1.2 million of the nearly 3 million people in Pennsylvania who have a record. Utah has been rolling out their implementation since last year, and around 300,000 people have had their records cleared there so far. And Michigan just started clearing records in April in an automated process and their attorney general reported that on day one, which was April 11th, I'm pretty sure, uh, 1 million people in Michigan had at least one record cleared and 400,000 people in Michigan had their record fully cleared. So it's happening. We have an audacious plan to expand Clean Slate to another 15 states within six years, but our ultimate goal is to expand and automate record sealing in all 50 states. Clean Slate's a movement. People can definitely get involved and spread the word and get more states to start doing this because it's going to change lives. 
We have a moral imperative to extend forgiveness to all people in society, not just the privileged or the lucky. We are all way more than the worst thing we ever done in our life. People change. Deciding who a person is based only on the worst thing they've ever done is unfair. Perpetuating stigmas is not helping anyone. There's a lot of research about the impact of the stigma of having a record. Multiple studies have shown that all forms of contact with the legal system, from arrest to charging, sentencing, jail, prison, the entire process has a significant negative impact on mental health for people. And it's a big part of that is probably due to being shut out of so many institutions and the collateral consequences of a record. But these stressors and this impact on health and mental health, it disproportionately impacts people of color and it contributes to racialized health inequities. And it's of course exacerbated for people who are living in communities characterized by poverty. So addressing the record clearing is gonna lift that burden too. And it's gonna help address the health inequalities that we see along with the employment impacts that Coop was talking about as well. I can't say enough about the importance of automated record clearing and what we know about the impact of clearing people's records. University of Michigan researchers found that people who cleared their records were 11% more likely to be employed and earn 22% higher wages in the year following clearance and less likely to commit another offense than the general population as a whole. There's another study that Erica Adams from San Jose State University and her colleagues Elsa Chen from Santa Clara University and Rosella Chapman, they found that that record clearance doesn't only reduce barriers to employment, but it can facilitate a cognitive transformation, an identity change, an identity shift. So you gain a new identity as someone who is fully reintegrated and part of society again. And that, that in and of itself can be life-changing, especially because of everything that we know about the mental health and, and health impacts of having a record. Thank you. Yeah, all of that is so important. I mean, who doesn't need a second chance? One of my favorite songs has a line that I think is really powerful. And it says, if it weren't for second chances, we'd all be alone. And so just recognizing that, empathizing with that, it's a part of the human experience. In fact, it's required of the human experience. Making mistakes is how we learn. That's how we live. So thank you so much for sharing everything you just did. I can imagine that a lot of people who are listening to this and hearing all of the resources and all of the ways that you're saying that people can get involved and hearing that and saying, I am not an employer. I don't work in any of these gatekeeping jobs. And I may not feel comfortable getting involved in political processes when it comes to going and advocating for a specific bill to be passed in my area. And I'm thinking of that person and recognizing that one of the bigger things, or not bigger, but one of the equally impactful things that I think both of you have talked a lot about during this entire conversation is the stigma that's attached to a person with a criminal record, a person who has been impacted by the justice system. And that is one way that every single one of us can be impactful in our communities is helping to erase the stigma attached to that involvement. 
And you can do that in your own, just in your own life. One of the things that Courtney and I are huge on is just self-reflection as a community service, being able to recognize that the way that you interact with people and the way that you engage with your community impacts their lives tenfold every day. And you have the power to change that stigma yourself in your own community. Absolutely. And while conducting that self-reflection, I think both of us feel very strongly that questioning things consistently in your life, questioning what you take for granted, what you've been taught, and your assumptions is really important. And to Coop's point, self-education is the best way to do that. Start engaging with resources that are exploring the lived experience of someone that you might not be affiliated with all the time. I'll say as far as familiarizing yourself with what I'm up to, my LinkedIn be popping, you know what I'm saying? So connect with me on LinkedIn. That's where I've really been putting in work and making some amazing nationwide connections, like with the National Association of Community Health Workers. And Laura mentioned some amazing national organizations led by lived experience. I have to also mention Just Leadership USA. They have the leading with conviction trainings that they do. They're doing a lot of work with the policy change and leveraging lived experience experience nationally, but you can also go to the Operation Gateway website, which is www.operationgateway.org. Okay, I would also say definitely add me on LinkedIn. Look at our website, www.cleanslateinitiative.org, but also look to the local organizations that are working in your community right now with and led by people who are impacted by the legal system. Donate, get involved, volunteer, and really work to building a coalition that's going to advocate for legislation that's going to help improve and change the lives of impacted people from the ground up. Thank you so much for listening. It's an honor to be working towards better together with you.